can rest in your promises. What a beautiful truth that is. We are finishing up our sermon series this week, and next week we begin a new series called Made for This. If you ever miss a week or want to listen to a message again, check us out on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. You can find more information on that and lots of other things by going to meethope.org today. So have you been to the store recently? Any store, really. If so, you can't help but notice that prices on everything have gone up. From bread to paper, from gas to games. Economic challenges don't impact all of us the same way. If you need help, please let us know. If you haven't felt the impact as severely as others may have, we want to encourage you to give generously as we support those whose struggles are profound. Giving is one tangible way that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus during challenging times. Whether online or in person, you can give by visiting meethope.org today and clicking on the Give button. Or if you're in the building, you can also use the giving stations around the building. We thank you for giving generously. And as we celebrate Memorial Day this weekend, let's take a moment to honor and remember those who gave their all in the service of others. So every year at this weekend, we take a moment in our time of worship to remember the men and women who paid the ultimate price, who made the ultimate sacrifice in defense of our country that we all love. And it's good and it's right that we do that. This Memorial Day, we also need to remember others whose lives were taken not on a battlefield but in a grocery store and in an elementary school. People who were victims of a hate-filled mind and heart madness armed with an assault weapon. Hundreds of families around our country mourning unspeakable losses. And we grieve with them. And we pray for them. 
And we all know that there is a better way. Whatever divides us, the thing that unites us, is a desire that people can go about their days without fear of this kind of violence. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their sins, I will hear them from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. So let's take these few moments, humbling ourselves, putting aside whatever things may divide us, and being unified in this desire to turn from our wicked ways, to ask God's forgiveness, and healing on our land. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're grateful for this nation. And take these moments now, Lord, to give thanks for those young men and women who gave of themselves, gave of their very lives in the defense of this nation and all that this nation stands for. We are grateful for them. And Lord, we pray for those families, husbands and wives, sons and daughters, friends and loved ones, who grieve their loss. Lord, we stand with them, asking that you would continue to give them peace and strength and guidance. And Lord, we pray for the brokenhearted in Buffalo, New York. Lord, it's difficult, impossible to comprehend the motivation and the actions that did such damage and left behind such grief and heartache. And Lord, we pray for those families in Texas who are at the front end of a grief that we can't begin to fathom. But pray, God, that you would be present 
that people will draw together and draw strength from each other and comfort and healing. And Lord, we pray for our country. We pray, God, that um, we can have conversations with each other and find ways together so that things like this will not be inflicted on one more community, on one more school or neighborhood, as we've seen in the past two weeks. Forgive the violence, Lord. Forgive the hatred. Forgive the vitriol. And I pray, Lord, that your church, those who bear your name, would be at the very front of the line speaking words of peace of unity of compassion Lord we pray for your healing we pray for your forgiveness and give you thanks for your generosity in both May one day people look back on this time as a defining moment when we moved away from our anger at each other, our fears of each other, and moved toward a greater unity. We give you thanks, God, for this country. And for the best that it is and for the best that is yet to come. As we trust you. And all God's people agreed and said, Amen. Amen. Hey, at the uh, Soul Cafe, on your way out, you might want to take a look at um, the display that was put together and uh, read uh, the signs that are there and there's um, a little takeaway uh, for you as well. So we are at the end of this series that we've been in the midst of for the last five weeks that we've been calling Discipleship Jazz. And last week, if you recall, we looked at John chapter 13 and Jesus saying that the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. You will, the world will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And he said, and the way that we're to love each other is the way that he loved us. Jesus calls us not just to a personal relationship with him as individuals, 
but calls us together as followers of Christ. So we've been using this metaphor of jazz to talk about discipleship. And one of the things about jazz is that it's a team sport. Jazz is played best, the music is the most moving when it's done in ensembles and in bands. Each musician bringing his or her own instrument, own skill into this ensemble to make this incredible music. And the same is true for us as Christ followers. Our faith is a team sport. We're in this together. It's not, again, just about my individual faith. We are called to be his church, his gathering, or in the Greek, the ecclesia. So I want to read to you from the book of Hebrews. It's the 10th chapter, verses 23 through 25. I want to have you hear this and then unpack it a little bit with you. This is what it says. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is drawing near. So the writer of the Hebrews says, Jesus is coming back. That was true then, and that is still true today. Jesus will be returning. In the meantime, while we're waiting for Jesus to return, here's what we should be doing. Trust God in an unwavering way. Hold fast to your faith. There's a lot of things that will seek to pull it apart. There were then and there are now. But hold fast because God's true to his word. Encourage each other then to do good and loving things. He said to do good and loving things. Don't just think good and loving things. Don't just talk about good and loving things. Do good and loving things. And stay together. Trust God. Do loving things and good works. And stay together. Now, it's important to understand that this was written in a time when it was truly dangerous to be a Christian. Your life was in danger as a Christian. And the reason for that wasn't because of religious things. It wasn't about religion. It was about who is a king. In Rome, there were a lot of religions. They didn't really care that much about what religion you practiced in Rome. What they cared a lot about is that you understood that there was one king and his name was Caesar. And so now you have these Christ followers 
who understand that Jesus is, in fact, their king. Jesus is their Lord. Jesus is the leader above and beyond anyone. And this was not okay in ancient Rome. In fact, you may remember that when Jesus was crucified, that they put a sign on the cross over top of him, and it said, King of the Jews. They were sending a clear message that if anybody claims another king, it's not going to go well. And so these Christ followers, by knowing that Jesus was in fact their king, that he is the ruler of all, were in great danger. And if they were found out to be a Christian, they could be arrested, they could be tortured, they could be executed. And so now the Hebrew writer, the writer of Hebrews is saying, not only are you to be a Christ follower, but you're supposed to gather together in groups. It's just that much more that you're exposed now. It's one thing to kind of hide your faith away in your house. It's another thing to gather with others who share this faith. It puts you in greater danger. But the writer is saying, this isn't just a nice thing to do. This is essential. It's worth the risk. What are they meeting together to do? What are they meeting together to do? Are they meeting together to plot to overthrow the government? No. They're meeting together to talk about, to think about, to come up with ways that they can encourage each other towards acts of love and good works. That's the stuff that they were talking about. They wanted to love like Jesus loved them. And so they get together and they talk about what does that look like? How do we encourage each other? How do we do these acts of love and good works. And man, they figured some stuff out. And it made them effective and powerful in a way that nobody saw coming. They figured out how to love widows. They figured out how to do good works for lepers and orphans. If there were hurting people, Christians were there helping. And as a result, they changed the world. It wasn't a political movement. It was men and women loving God, loving each other, and out of the overflow of that, loving those around them. And they literally changed the world. So what about today? What about us? Well, the call is still there. The call is still there for us to gather together. It's still essential 
that we get together. And in some ways, it's been harder in the last few years than it's ever been in, certainly in my lifetime. The pandemic made it hard, right? For good reasons, we didn't gather physically in rooms with large numbers of people because we cared about each other and we cared about our community and didn't want to spread disease. So that made it harder. There are people who are worried about violence, and so any gathering they're worried about coming to. And we have a time in our society where this time that we set aside for worship isn't necessarily a good time for them in our world. There are people who work on Sundays, nurses, doctors, realtors, all kinds of folks who have to work on a Sunday. And there are folks whose time demands are so great that Sunday mornings just don't work out for them. And so it's become more difficult. Yet in other ways, right, this has been one of the easiest times to gather people together because of this online ability that we now have. We can join together in worship even though we're not physically in the same place. There are those of you who are watching this service right now in your home. Some of you may be in your car. I hear stories of people who are driving. You're not watching. You're listening to the service in your car. Some of you are probably down at the shore. Good for you. It's all right. We're not jealous much. This Sunday morning thing for some just doesn't work. And so not only do we have online, but we have on demand where you can watch a service anytime, day or night, that works for you. So in those ways, it's kind of easier for us to get together. And this online ability that we have been learning over these last two years is really what has kept us together, even while being apart. So our challenge isn't so much attendance, but engagement. Our challenge is more about engagement. How are we together Encouraging each other towards acts of love and good works. See, attendance is how we grow the church. Engagement is how we grow our influence. That's what Jesus said. The world will know that you're my disciples. How? By the ways that you love one another. Engagement. It's not just attendance. It's engagement. Engagement is our influence. Both are important. Attendance matters. Engagement matters. So the engagement idea is answering the question, how? How do we do works? Of, uh, how do we do love and good works for each other and beyond? And that's not just a question for 
us as a church. It's really a question for you. How do you, how do you engage in the community of faith that you're a part of to encourage others toward greater love and good works? Every one of us has a part. Every one of us has a role. God has equipped you, each of you, with special gifts, talents, abilities for the purpose of blessing others in the community of faith because the world will know that we are his disciples by the ways that you use your gifts and talents and abilities to bring blessings to others who are part of this community of faith. It's sort of like saying, to use our metaphor, it's sort of like saying that God has given each of you an instrument to play in the band. So I want to unpack that part a bit, right? In Romans chapter 12, verses 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. So it's like a band, right? There are many instrumentalists, but it's not just a collection of soloists. We all belong to this thing together. Each is a part. Each brings their instrument, their skill, their talent. Each belongs to the other. Each one functions as a part of the whole. That's the church. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, Take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. In other words, do what you do naturally here for the sake of others Do what you do naturally. So he went through this list, and it wasn't a comprehensive list, right? That's not all of the gifts that God gives, but he was just going through some examples. Serving and giving and leadership and teaching and hospitality and kind acts of kindness and serving how do you bless others in your life most naturally? Those are the things 
that you can bring to bear in the church. When you get engaged, and I know many that I'm talking to this morning, you're already engaged, and so you know this, and, and let this be a word of encouragement. If this is new to you, let this be a word of encouragement and inspiration. Right? But when you get engaged, what you get to see is God at work in this place. I remember a guy a few years ago started coming to Hope Church and he was coming to the worship service and uh, he came for uh, probably close to a year and, uh, and then somebody invited him to a small group. And so reluctantly, because he's never done that before, he went to a small group and, and he, he liked it and his faith began to grow. And as he got to know people through that small group, somebody said, you know, just in listening to you and getting to know you a little bit, I think you would really do great working with our youth. You ought to check that out. And so again, reluctantly, because this was all new to him, he went and checked out the youth ministry and, and he really liked it. And he began to serve in the youth ministry and really having an impact on the lives of students there. And I remember being in a conversation with him and he said, I am just amazed at the number of ways that God is at work here in the lives of people. I didn't really understand that until I got involved. That's what's going on. That's the experience I want for each of you to have. That you get to see for yourself how God not only uses you, but is using others. And the number of ways that people's lives are being touched here and through this place being touched beyond here. There is so much going on, much of it that goes unseen and, and people don't hear about. You know, we all hear about the food pantry, right? And the folks who uh, are packing up bags of food and putting it in people's cars and so forth, and that's a great thing. There's a, there's a group of guys that are a part of that that have a unique job. Their job is to manage the parking lot. It's the front lines. I mean, this is war. <laughs> like, these guys are out there. There are 100-plus cars that converge on this place at the same time that the preschool's letting out. So we had to manage that. They had to manage that um, and, and put down cones and, and, uh, and make sure that this runs in an orderly kind of way and make sure that the people in the cars are treated with respect and love and so forth. And they do that in a beautiful way. And by the way that they do the parking lot, it tells folks in those cars and around the community something about this church. Right? It seems so small, right? Does anybody have the gift of parking lot? <laughs> yeah, apparently they do. What they really do is have they, they have a gift of service. They have gifts of compassion. They have gifts of encouragement. And they bring those gifts into this activity of the parking lot. Right? There's a need. We've got to do the parking lot well. They bring their giftedness into that activity. 
and people are blessed. We have a care ministry. You don't see that. But they prepare meals for folks who are either recovering from a surgery or are going through a hard time or just had a baby. And they help provide meals for that family. They give rides. If somebody is in need of transportation to a doctor or something like that, they, they will give a ride. We have a group of people who want our college students to know that just because they're not here physically doesn't mean that they're forgotten. And so several times throughout the year, this group of folks will gather together and put together little care packages that they send out to our college students just to say that your church family remembers you. It's a simple act of love. It's a good work. There are women who gather together. It's all women. There's no men. Otherwise, I'd say men and women. I don't know any men that are doing this. But they knit prayer shawls. And as they're knitting these shawls, they're praying for the people who are going to receive it. And if somebody is seriously ill and we hear about it, we try to get one of these prayer shawls to them and let them know that this comes knit together in prayer. They also knit these blankets so every time we baptize an infant, the family gets a blanket for their baby that has been knitted by these women who are praying for these children, right? Simple things. There's no gift of knitting. It's a talent. It's an ability. But they bring their faith and their desire to bless families into that work that they do. We have people who do pre-marriage mentoring. They've been trained to work with couples who are preparing to get married. So we have pre-marriage mentors. We have small group facilitators. We have folks right now working with children, folks who work with our youth as investors, I call them. They're investing in the next generation, bringing their gifts and their passion and compassion into those ministries. We have hospitality teams Folks who, as we come in, greet us, right? We would have coffee. Anybody, you know, miss the coffee days? You know why we don't have coffee? We need people to make coffee. Oh, it didn't just magically appear. <laughs> but as we're getting back, as we're reshaping, reforming, that's something that we want to do again. Not only do we have people here, but we have people online. There are folks right now online who are our online hosts, welcoming people as they sign on, being there to answer questions and so forth, if people have them, greet new folks, all of that online. And of course, our tech team back there, those folks who make the lights and the sound and all of that work for us. You know, all of these things that are going on here every single day, all week, month after month, year after year. It is the church 
everybody playing their instrument and making this incredible music together. And when we love each other in those ways, the world knows. The world gets to see that we follow Christ. We're currently in the process of working on a strategic ministry plan, a three-year plan. And I anticipate being able to share it with you this fall. But I can tell you this, that all of the purpose of it, the overarching idea of these plans will be to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples so that we can spur each other on to greater acts of love and good works. So, at the end of the series, what is discipleship jazz? It's a reminder that Jesus came to make a new way to be in relationship with the Father. The law has been replaced by grace. We are no longer connecting with God through the rigors of religion, but now through the rhythms of the Spirit. Jazz music combines structures and patterns with freedom and improvisation. And that's what Jesus brought. New patterns, new structures that give us great freedom and the ability to improv how we express those. So, we're all part of the band. We all have a role. Each of us adds our abilities, talents, voice into the whole. And together, we play a song. And in a style that changed the world then and continues to change the world today. And all of us, all of us have a part in that. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? So Lord, what hasn't changed in 2,000 years is that we live in a broken world. where evil seeks to destroy, divide, tear down. And you came into the world to bring light and life, to build up, to unify, to give new life. And for that, we are eternally grateful.
Lord, we want to be your church. Not just in word, but in spirit and in truth. And so I pray that you would give us compelling vision. That you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, and hands and feet to do the things that will show the world that we are your disciples. And all of the praise, glory, and honor is yours, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.